not like them. Be kind, friendly, respectful, even if they're not nice to you. That way you're not dragged down to their level. Also, there's nothing that annoys arrogant jerks more than people being nice to them. Number two, floss. Everyday floss. As discussed, in addition to aforementioned perks, it encourages healthy gums and makes your teeth feel secure when they're eating something difficult like apples or corn on the cob. Number three, try to have some quiet time every day. I know it's hard, don't tell me. It's getting to be near impossible to find silence, what with the TV, radio, kids, leaf blowers, helicopters, traffic, birds, dogs barking, your grandma yelling from the back of the car, Stop flossing, you're going to get us all killed! But try to put time aside to listen to you. It's easy to forget what you want, who you are, with all the noise. Check in with you every day, or at least on New Year's Eve. Number four, exercise. Any form of movement will do. Stretching keeps you limber, young, and energized. My favorite exercise is walking a block and a half to the corner store to buy fudge. Then I call a cab to get back home. There's never a need to overdo anything. Number five, drink lots of water. I can't function unless I drink a lot of water. My favorite way to drink water is to put it in a tray, make ice cubes, then put one of those cubes into a big old glass of scotch. Let's have some now, shall we? Thinking back, a good thing to do while drinking scotch, I knew I wanted to write this book because I've always loved writing, especially cursive. It's so pretty, all the loops and whatnot. I thought about having this entire book printed in capital letters, so as the narrator, it would seem like I'm shouting the whole time. I like the idea of me shouting inside other people's heads. It makes me feel powerful. You know, it's hard work to write a book. I can't tell you how many times I really get going on an idea, then my quill breaks, or I spill ink all over my writing tunic. No wonder I drink so much. Then I get so drunk I can barely feed the baby. That's what I call myself when I'm drunk, the baby. Okay, I'm putting the drink down. Back to the happiness list. Number six. Know you are special. How do you know that? Because you bought this audiobook. You were already two steps ahead of the losers who didn't buy this audiobook. They aren't special. When they finally do buy this audiobook, then they too will be special because they have chosen this audiobook, but you will still be two or three or even more steps ahead. But know when you buy this audiobook, you're ahead. Imagine being the last person to buy this audiobook. I pray that doesn't happen to anyone. If word keeps spreading about the magical powers of this book, the joy it gives, the wonders, the life-affirming, the life-changing results of listening to this book, no one will ever be the last. It will be sold forever and ever, and that will make me happy. Number seven, the key to life is balance. Think of a seesaw. On one side is give, the other side take. If you just give and give and give, you've got nothing left. You're empty, which means you don't weigh anything because empty equals weightless. So take is just sitting on the ground, bored out of its mind, saying, I'm bored, I can't take any more of this, which is a pretty strong statement since that's what take's job is. It's to take. And if take can't take any more, then, well, I think you see my point. And the same goes for taking too much. If you keep taking and taking and taking, you get loaded down. Taking equals heavy. So give is stranded way up in the air saying, hey, I'm way up in the air. And then take is like, so, and give is like, I hate you. All you do is take. And take is like, you're the stupid poo-poo head for giving all the time. And 
Take gets off the seesaw to leave, and Give goes crashing to the ground, and then Take feels bad and rushes over to see if Give is okay, and then they hug and start crying and both apologize for being so selfish. So you see, it needs to be balanced. Number eight, minimize stress. When I'm stressed out, I get so stressed. When I'm relaxed, it's a whole different story. I find that life can be difficult. Also, when certain events occur, it can bring on stress. Small things, a car accident, let's say, can change your whole mood. Everything can be going just fine. You're at home, feeling cozy, watching TV. You suddenly remember you're running low on ice cream. Jump in your Cutlass Supreme, singing along to some classic Hall and Oates song, and bam, right in the back of some idiot's car. What are they doing? Stop there anyway. It's a stop sign, not a red light. You're not supposed to sit there forever. And all the questions start flying at you. Do you have insurance? Have you been drinking? Why are you in your pajamas? Wow, people are nosy. No wonder I rarely leave the house. It's a jungle out there. Number nine. Start thinking positively. You'll notice a difference. Instead of "I think I'm a loser," try "I definitely am a loser." Stop being wishy-washy about things. How much more of a loser can you be if you don't even know you are? Either you're a loser or you're not. Which is it, stupid? Number ten, don't look in the mirror, ever. Number eleven, work, but have playtime, recess. We lose our play, our fun, all of our joy. You know, we used to say, "Mom, I'm going out to play." Now it's, "Honey, I'm going off to work." We don't see a forty-five-year-old man say, "I'm going out to play." His girlfriend or boyfriend would say, "What the heck does that mean?" No, you won't. You don't see a grown-up squatting on the ground with a stick poking at ants. If you do, you cross the street. You walk far away from them. You don't see adults laying in the grass, staring at the sky, saying, "I see bunny rabbits." That is, unless they're on drugs. So there you have it, your very own book on the keys to happiness, courtesy of me. Phew! It's a relief that's over. I tell you, writing a book is a bear. Anyway, I hope that you enjoyed listening to this book as much as I've enjoyed writing it. But before I say good night, let me—oh, excuse me—that's the phone. Let me get it in case it's important. So I'm going to put you on hold now. Okay, I'm back. That was my editor. Apparently, they want this book to be more than six pages. I guess I've got a little work to do. Suddenly, I'm not so happy anymore. I'd better reread this chapter. And perchance, floss. The brunch bunch. I'm exhausted. Today's Monday, so of course that means yesterday was Sunday, which naturally means the weekly Sunday brunch at my house. I can't even remember how or when we started this darn thing, but it is crazy with a capital K. You never know what's going to happen. Who's going to say what, or who will show up with whom? Everybody brings something, so I don't have to do all the cooking. It's a big relief, especially since I can't cook. I guess if I did cook one Sunday, that would end the whole tradition once and for all. But even though everybody brings a dish, it's still a lot of people and a lot of cleanup. We have the regulars: Paula Abdul, Diane Sawyer, Gloria Steinem, Donatella Versace, Ed Begley Jr., and M&M. But occasionally, someone will bring a guest. Yesterday, Diane Sawyer showed up with Siegfried or Roy. I'm not sure which one. He was wearing something sparkly and kept calling me darling. He was sweet. One more guest would have been okay, except that Paula brought a dry cleaner, who also called me darling. 
I don't think a dry cleaner should call me darling. He should just call me what everyone else calls me. Miss Ellen. He brought the haagen which was completely melted, and you know you can't refreeze that stuff or it gets gross. Next, Ed walks in with Carol Lipinski, the skater, wearing a skating outfit, which I thought was weird. I made a joke. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have a rink. She said rather flatly, I'm not skating. Then, after a long silence that made everyone uncomfortable, the dry cleaner asked if he could use my little girl's room. So M&M &M said, What are you, a little girl? Are you a little bitch? M. I call him M. I even call him Auntie M, like from The Wizard of Oz, and he laughs, sometimes. M, I said, don't start. He went back to pouring his gazpacho into a soup tureen. Ed apologized for being late and not calling to alert us of an extra guest. He didn't think it would be a big deal, not realizing that a few other people would do the same thing, which in turn turned into a big deal. I just don't have the seating to accommodate nine people. I have a table for six, and if one extra shows up, we squeeze in. But here it was awkward because three people would have to eat at the coffee table in the next room, like the kids' table at Christmas or Thanksgiving. Who would it be? Gloria said she would sit in the other room, but not with M&M. They don't get along. Ed offered to join Gloria, but no one else offered. I was just about to volunteer when Diane said she would eat at the coffee table, but only if I promised to play darts with her when the brunch was over. I knew she'd say that. Diane Sawyer is really good at darts. Like, weirdly good. We played once when we were on summer vacation in Scotland, and she beat every man at the Hound and Strumpet pub. It was great in retrospect, but at the time it felt kind of dangerous. Anyway, I was left to sit and eat with Donatella Versace, Siegfried, or Roy, Paula Abdul, Paula Abdul's dry cleaner, Tara Lipinski, and M&M. For the first 20 minutes, we ate in silence, with the exception of the dry cleaner remarking this gispacho is heavenly. He pronounced gispacho with a soft G. Gispacho. Not a hard G, the way it should be pronounced. I don't care where you're from, and I'm pretty sure he was from Canada. There's no reason you can't get it right. Every time he said it, and I think he said it nine times in 20 minutes, I thought M&M was going to explode. It was almost as if the dry cleaner was mocking M's gazpacho. And it's his special recipe. He brings it every week. After the third or fourth time he said gazpacho, I said, It's good gazpacho, saying it correctly with a hard G, hoping he'd realize his stupid mistake, but he just kept on as if I was saying it wrong. Even Donatella Versace says it right, and she says everything wrong. Well, when conversation finally started flowing, it was not pleasant. It started harmlessly enough with Siegfried or Roy asking why Paula hangs out with her dry cleaner. Were they friends before and now he just happens to dry clean her clothes? Did they start chatting when she went to pick up her outfits, as he called them? And if so, why wouldn't her assistant pick up her outfits? Paula just stared at Siegfried or Roy with this kind of knowing smile on her face like she was on to him, you know, the way Paula does. Well, this unnerved everyone, and I think the dry cleaner got a little defensive on Paula's behalf. He started questioning Siegfried or Roy on his own outfits. And from there, it led to why Tara Lipinski was wearing her outfit. Tara didn't understand what he was talking about. It's all she ever wears. The whole thing escalated into someone, I suspect it was the silent but deadly Paula, throwing a pork chop, which missed everyone at our table, but flew clear into the other room, hitting Gloria Steinem in the eye. She screamed out, Okay, M&M, you misogynist, assuming it was him. I honestly can't say who it really was, because I was getting another helping of cream corn when it happened. But anyway, all hell broke loose, and it ended with everyone leaving at once. 
In all the confusion, Ed Begley Jr. backed his electric car into Donatella Versace's Bentley. Those electric cars sure can build up speed. It did some damage, but not as much as M&M driving over my lawn in his Le Mans and plowing down my newly planted rose garden. The dry cleaner was at Siegfried or Roy's car exchanging cleaning tips, and I was left with the mess to clean up. Well, my housekeeper was, but still. Tara Lipinski called this morning to see if she left her purse. I told her she didn't come with a purse, and she argued she did indeed come with a purse. I said, no, you didn't. We all commented on your skating attire like you were getting ready to perform or something, remember? She said, oh, is that what you meant by you don't have a rink? I'm sorry I answered so rudely. I didn't get the joke. Everyone always wants me to skate for them, so I just assumed you were expecting me to skate. I said, no, it was a joke. She said, oh, and laughed hysterically until she started choking and whispered she had to go and hung up. A few minutes later, I found a purse in my kitchen and felt so bad I had been so adamant about her not having one. I opened it, hoping to find a phone number for her, but when I found the driver's license, it was Gloria Steinem's. Only her real name is Debbie. Oh, the secrets we keep. Next Sunday should be interesting. That's why prison wouldn't be so bad. Sometimes when I'm trying to get dressed, I find myself just staring at my clothes for an hour. I have not a clue as to what I should put on. It is so hard to decide what to wear. And it got me thinking, that's why prison wouldn't be so bad. Sometimes I don't want to be a grown-up. I don't want to have too many obligations. I don't want responsibilities or deadlines. In prison, I wouldn't have to make any decisions. Life would be so simple. It's true that the beds don't look very comfortable and they only have those wool blankets. They're itchy. Oh, and the lack of privacy with the bathroom situation, I'd hate that. Then again, they do have TV and a gym. I'd be in excellent shape, probably better than the time I trained for a marathon. They have a fantastic physical conditioning program, and it's outdoors. How refreshing. They call it the exercise yard, a yard dedicated to getting fit. You always hear that people in prison are really muscular, but I don't think I'd use the exercise yard for that. I'd probably just want to work on my abs and my cardiovascular. You probably have to bring your own towel and workout gloves, but that's the price you pay for absolutely no responsibility. There's also the fact that the food is free, and I always think free food tastes the best. Like when you go to those hotel manager's receptions, even though the food is taquitos and Swedish meatballs, they're free and actually pretty good. The thing with prison food that might worry me is that someone might try to poison a prisoner, and I might accidentally get the plate that was meant for the intended victim. That would be bad. But let's just say I lived through that. Well, then I could probably live through just about anything. Think what a strong constitution I'd have and probably a new zest for life.